Good morning. This meeting will come. Good morning. This meeting will come to order. Welcome to the uh, November seventeenth, twenty twenty-two, regular meeting of the Government Audit and Oversight Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I'm Supervisor Dean Preston, Chair of the Committee, joined today by Vice Chair Connie Chan and Supervisor Catherine Stephanie. Our committee clerk today is Stephanie Cabrera, and I want to thank the team at SFGov TV for staffing this meeting. Madam Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, thank you, Chair. The Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment, while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first, then we'll take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those watching either channel 26, 28, 78, or 99, and sfgovtv.org. The public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. The number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2498-116218, then pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and the public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak along the curtain wall, and those on the telephone should dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you are on your telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using. As already indicated, we will be taking public comment from those attending in person first, then we'll go to our public comment telephone line. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in, written, in writing either of the following ways. Email them to me, the government audit and oversight clerk at stephanie.cabrera C as in California, A, B as in Bay, R, E, R, A, at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our city, in, our office in City Hall, 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. Finally, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of November 29th unless otherwise stated. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And before we call our first item, I want to make a motion to excuse uh, Supervisor Mandelman. Um, Madam Clerk, please call the roll. On the motion to excuse Member Mandelman. Vice Chair Chan. Aye. Member Stephanie. Aye. Chair Preston. Aye. Thank you, there are three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes, and Madam Clerk, please call item one. Item number one is a motion directing the budget and legislative analysts to conduct two additional performance audits for fiscal year 2022 through 2023, consisting of, one, a multi-part audit of various departments, delegated authority for public works contracts pursuant to Chapter 6 of the Administrative Code, and two, how conflicts of interest are managed citywide. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415 Six five five zero 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 one. When prompted, enter meeting ID two four nine eight one 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 six two one eight. Then pound. Then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. The system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted, and you may begin your comments when we get to public comment. Thank you, Madam Clerk and uh, colleagues. As I, I, I spoke to this a bit uh, at when we introduced this item. Um, the, the board recently expanded its uh, oversight 
capabilities by increasing uh, the budget and legislative analyst's capacity to conduct uh, audits of departments and programs. And our, our goal in doing that was to, uh, to try to be a more proactive as a body in evaluating programs and practices and, um, by, and, and toward a, and the ultimate goal of really helping the city um, minimize uh, opportunities for corruption in our city. And the, the motion that's before us will direct the BLA to conduct uh, the first of uh, two of these uh, new uh, anti-corruption audits um, pursuant to this, uh, this expanded capacity. Um, really want to thank just the, you both colleagues and, and the entire board for the support through the budget process of doing what, what really is the first in I think over a decade increase to the, to the BLA capacity so that we could do more of uh, these audits. This is quite similar to work the BLA already does but has been really limited in, uh, in terms of the scope and number of these that can be done on a timely basis. Um, so we have uh, the, the, the BLAs here to provide uh, an, a brief overview of uh, the proposed scope of the audit, so I won't go into the, the details um, at this point, but I think that one thing I do want to say is that these both are, um, are audits that are proactive. This is something I said when I introduced, that these are not in response to uh, particular allegations or scandals anywhere um, beyond the general state of, of quite a number of scandals in our city, but, but I want to be clear that the particular topics here are selected more with an eye toward areas of concern and potential abuse and trying to proactively address those, not uh, in a responsive way uh, to any particular uh, breaches of the, of the public trust. So um, with that and with really thanks to the BLA for, uh, for all of their work um, on this, I want to turn it over to Dan Goncher of the BLA. Welcome, uh, Mr. Goncher. your mic going. Okay, there, I think there it's we now. Good morning. Thank you, Chair Preston, uh, members of the committee, Dan Goncher with the Budget and Legislative Analyst Office. As Chair Preston mentioned, um, the proposed motion um, includes two additional performance audits um, that are being requested of our office. The first is uh, looking at the delegated authority under Chapter 6 of the Administrative Code, which provides some authority to departments uh, greater authority to departments for construction contracts. It, the code refers to it as public works, but it's not always the Department of Public Works. Um, that delegated authority includes that department heads can approve any construction contracts. Um, this includes professional services contracts that are related to construction uh, under $1 million without approval from the commission overseeing the department, if there is a commission overseeing the department. And then um, between $1 million and, and $10 million, um, those types of contracts can be approved uh, simply by going through the commission overseeing the department. It doesn't have to go through the Board of Supervisors. Additionally, um, those procurements are not going through the city's centralized uh, procurement process through OCA, the Office of Contract Administration. So. Um, 
that we do believe that there is a heightened risk there. Not saying that there is a scandal going on, but um, it, it certainly is an area of risk that, um, to my knowledge, has never been audited. Certainly not by by our office. Um, and the <clears throat> Chapter Six delegated authority was the subject of. Uh, the public integrity review um, by the controller's office, looking at what was going on at Department of Public Works under a previous director, um, and was the subject of, I uh, believe, some other investigations. Um, so that's the first audit. Um, we see it as actually probably a multi-part audit where um, because there are um, six departments, five departments other than Public Works, which already has been looked at by the controller's office, um, probably makes sense for us to start with one of the larger departments where we would think there would be higher risk and then move on from there. Uh, so that, that might result in multiple reports from our office. The second audit uh, is looking at how the, what the city strategy is um, for managing conflicts of interest. Um, as you probably are aware, um, managing conflicts of interest through tools like the Statement of Economic Interests is one of the key sort of tools, ways that the city has to minimize the risk of corruption and, um, and fraud in the city. Um, what we, we, we did conduct a performance audit of the Ethics Commission a few years ago, and um, w one of the things that we learned was that um, most of the investigations conducted by the Ethics Commission um, are complaint-driven. Um, additionally, we know that the Statement of Economic Interests, also known as the Form 700, um, are, are forms that are self-reported by individuals, and individuals also are expected to sort of self-report or um, exclude themselves sort of voluntarily from decision-making where they might have a conflict of interest. Um, so... Due to that, um, the sort of um, somewhat passive approach that the, the city has, which is not necessarily out of the ordinary for how public um, local governments operate, um, we'd also see a, a risk there. Um, so we'd, we are uh, proposing to look at um, how are there those forms used, what are the departmental level controls across the city, and what are other jurisdictions doing, and are there, is there anything else out there that might be um, seen as a best practice that could be adopted here in San Francisco. Um, so that's sort of a general overview. I'm available for any questions if anyone has any. Thank you, Mr. Goncher. Um, colleagues, any questions uh, or comments? Seeing none, let's open public comment on, uh, on this item. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment for item number one? Please line up to your right. Remote public call-in members, please press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. Seeing no in public, in-person public comment, we'll go to the phone. We have one caller. Please forward the caller. Eileen Boken, Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, speaking on my own behalf. Commenting on agenda item number one, part two, regarding how conflicts of interest are managed citywide. I would urge the board to add to the scope of this contract with the BLA to audit the citywide affordable housing loan committee. 
The four voting members of this committee include the director of MOHCD, who is then able to vote to approve his own projects. There are uh, committee agenda items, which include loan forgiveness in the amount of tens of millions of dollars. There are projects such as 2550 Irving, which are approved despite MOHCD analysis, noting the high cost per unit of almost $1 million and high land acquisition cost of over $9 million. And where the MOHC analysis of 2550 Irving failed to state that the site was contaminated. Finally, the Citywide Affordable Housing Loan Committee does not maintain any minutes of its proceedings, neither written, audio, nor video documentation. Thank you. There are no other speakers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on this item is now closed. Um, and uh, thank you again, uh, Mr. Goncher, for your work, and, and also uh, thanks to uh, Lyndon Berry of, of uh, the Budget and Legislative Analyst Office for her work on this as well. And uh, with that, uh, I'd like to move to send uh, this motion, item one, uh, to the full board uh, with positive recommendation. Madam Clerk, please call the roll. Thank you. I have the motion to send the item to the board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. Member Stephanie? Aye. Stephanie, aye. Chair Preston? Aye. Preston, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. Madam Clerk, please call item two. Item number two is a resolution authorizing the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency Director of Transportation to execute the Next Generation Clipper System Memorandum of Understanding with the Metropolitan Transportation Commission and Bay Area Transit Operators. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2498-111-6218, then pound, and then pound again. If you haven't done so already, please dial star three to line up to speak. The system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And for this item, we'll be hearing from uh, Diana Hammonds, Senior Manager for Revenue Collection and Sales for the MTA. Uh, welcome and uh, please go ahead. You have up to 10 minutes. Good morning, Chair Preston, members of the committee. Um, my name is Diana Hammonds, I'm SFMT Revenue Manager. Uh, the item before you is an amendment to the Clipper Memorandum of Understanding between the MTC, or Metropolitan Transportation Commission, and the 24 Bay Area Transit operators that participate in the Clipper program. Under this program, uh, the MTC holds the contract with Cubic, who is the vendor for the Clipper program, and this MOU establishes the roles and responsibilities of MTC and the operators as it, as it relates to the program. It also sets forward the uh, governance of the program, which is uh, primarily um, governed by the Clipper Executive Board, which is represented representatives of the seven largest transit agencies and two of the smaller operators. This amendment, um, the major change is related to the cost allocation or the agreement that the parties have in terms of splitting the costs for ongoing operation of the program. Under this agreement, MTC uh, covers 50% of those costs and all the capital costs and the operators have agreed to split the rest based on usage. This represents a change in the existing contract with Cubic, which is uh, variable transaction fees. 
um, and a number of other different um, uh, charges based on cards and, and other things. The new contract is a fixed monthly cost for operation, and the MTC's share of that is about 35%, um, with the annual amount actually slightly lower um, in the um, future years than it is currently. Um, this uh, amendment actually um, sort of uh, is, speaks to we're getting closer to the rollout of the next generation Clipper program, which will greatly enhance the customer convenience of the program. Some of those things you might have already seen. We have um, the new virtual Clipper card where folks can put their Clipper card um, on their, their wallet um, and use that to tag. We also are about 50% of the way through installing new Clipper equipment on our vehicles, which is now connected via cellular versus uh, download at the end of the day, uh, requiring long connections with the buses in the yards, um, which can sometimes result in customers not receiving their products or value for uh, four or five days. Um, other improvements that I know are very important to our agency and our city is an expansion of the vendor uh, network with requirements in the contract that Cubic focuses on those areas that are currently underserved for availability of Clipper cards. Um, and moving to uh, an account-based system, which uh, will also make the, tra the transactions uh, much uh, quicker and um, kind of move us into the, um, the, the current day of technology. The system right now is about 22 years old, <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, we're very excited about this. Um, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Vice Chair Chan. I, I don't have any questions. I just want to appreciate it. Um, I'm not an uh, everyday user of the of the Clipper app uh, as as on Google Pay, but mm -hmm. it has been working out really well. I appreciated the effort to improve the technology, and I look forward to seeing um, just learning more about the next generation. So we'll love to, if possible, to have more information when the time comes. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you, Supervisor. Thank you, Vice Chair Chan. Um, what's procedurally here? Uh, what what happens next, right? I, I mean, if the the board approves this, mm -hmm. and then that authorizes Director of Transportation then to sign off Correct. on the MOU, and then have all the other there, what twenty four or twenty five? Yes. Are we the tw I think twenty four? Twenty four yes. total. Mm -hmm. So have all the others signed off, or are they all going through the same process? It, uh, it's it, it's a process. Um, we um, as you know, because this is a contract um, over or 10 years and over $10 million, we first sought approval from our MTA board. Um, we are now before you. The MTC commission has approved, the Clipper executive board. Uh, most of the other transit agencies have already approved, but it does require all 24 agencies, and it takes some time. Got it. Thank you. And, and, um, and then what, per, what percent of our fair revenue in San Francisco comes through Clipper? Uh, currently, it's about 55%. And this is probably not the time or place to ask, but I'm going to ask anyway. Getting a monthly muni pass, which you, I believe, still can't do through um, muni mobile, mm -hmm. is that, is, are, are we near that, uh, where, where are we on uh, making it easier for people to purchase. Mm -hmm. So monthly passes um, for more than 10 years have only been available on Clipper. 
Um, so the Muni Mobile app that we administer ourselves is, um, it's really focused on those products that are not available on Clipper because the goal of the region is to ensure that we're utilizing this investment that has been made. So the monthly passes um, are always on Clipper. There, there is not, um, there's not a plan to expand. In fact, as more products come online in the Clipper system, we've kind of been on hold for five or six years. Like we have a day pass that's not available on Clipper. Um, we plan on uh, reducing the product availability on our own mobile app. Um, in addition, the Clipper program will have a similar mobile app that will focus on um, groups. Uh, right now, the, the mobile app that we have is fantastic for passports and cable card tickets. You know, you can't really expect a family of four to buy four Clipper cards with four um, cable card tickets on it. So that will also be an improvement because our goal is really to streamline and have all of our availability you know, in a single system, because when it, when you are utilizing Clipper for uh, travel on Muni, it also affords you discounts um, should you transfer to other agencies that have um, uh, reciprocal agreements, you know, single ride discounts and things like that, which is something that the region is looking to expand even further. If you use Muni Mobile for a single ride ticket, you won't get that discount. I guess this was the right place to ask. So is that a shift? Because I, I thought the plan was actually building out. I thought we were on track on Muni Mobile to try to have it be able to do passes. It sounds like that's that's not the case. We're actually trying to move folks from that app into a Clipper product. Correct. We do have um, a plan to pilot uh, what's called, a, I guess I'll use the term fair capping or pay as you go. Mm. A monthly pass so that people don't have to do the upfront cost. That's not available on Clipper right now, so it is something we can do on Muni Mobile, but um, there will be a point where all of this is available on Clipper, um, and that will be what we would hope to be our primary fare system because, you know, you pay for multiple systems, um, and so it's, it's much more streamlined to, to uh, focus on one. Got it. And, and just as this is something that has kind of evolved, is there anything in the agreement or the MOU that establishes Clipper as, as the exclusive place for this? Or, or can, you know, if a year from now or two years from now, we're not satisfied with mm -hmm. as, aspects of Clipper, we want to be investing in other products. Are we, are we precluded from doing that by anything in here? Un um, under, actually, it's, reiterated in this agreement, but there was actually a resolution passed by the Metropolitan Transportation Commission about 12 years ago um, that does um, prohibit transit agencies from implementing fare collection systems that compete with Clipper mm. um, for this reason, you know, a focus on a regional um, integration and uh, and also the investment that's made. If, if the MTA decided to go a different route with the way the cost structure is, the rest of the agencies have to bear those costs from us, uh, from that reduction. So we've all made a commitment to this, um, this program. Um, so it, the, the, the resolution indicates that, I mean, it doesn't prohibit, but it does state that we will be subject to potentially losing uh, MTC-administered funds. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. And uh, why don't we go ahead and open up public comment on thank this you. item. Mr. Chair, are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment for item number two? Please line up along your right. Remote public call-in members, please press star three to be added to the queue. 
For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you've been unmuted. There's no in-chamber public comment. There's currently zero members in the queue. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Apologies. BLA report. Thank you very much, Mr. Menard, for uh, Thank you. speaking up. The floor is yours. Thank you. Uh, Nick Menard from the BLA. Uh, item two, this is a resolution that approves uh, an amended restated memorandum of understanding between MTA, the MTC, and 23 other um, regional transit operators. The agreement has a 10-year term. Um, and as was mentioned, the existing agreement um, is largely uh, based on variable costs such as uh, share of revenue or share of rides. And you can see on page uh, six of our report um, the actual cost of the Clipper program to MTA um, pre-COVID and through COVID and, and, um, and then projected over the budget year. Um, so prior to COVID in fiscal year 1819, the costs were $8.4 million. Those costs decreased because the Clipper program is variable costs paid for by, uh, by variable costs right now. So it decreased to $3 million in the most recent fiscal year. Though going forward, it will increase to $7.1 million this year and $9.7 million in the following year. That's driven by the transition to fixed costs in the Clipper program and the fact that MTA is going to be paying for both systems during the transition period over the next uh, 12 months or so. Once the, pro once the program reaches a steady state, however, the, um, the share, the, the cost of the program to MTA will, will range from six and a half to eight and a half million dollars over the 10-year period of this MOU, um, which is less, generally less than the pre-COVID years. Um, so we do recommend um, approval of this MOU, and I'm happy to answer any other questions. Thank you, Mr. Menard. And, and, and so as I understand it, I mean, this is two of the conversation before, and I think is spelled out in the BLA report. It, 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 we, we, can still, we still can operate the MuniMobile app and program, and it's just, we just look on a, you know, is this something that competes with something? Then we can, then we can't do it. But if it's a thing like the uh, Lifeline passes, the you know some of these other programs that are specific to our system, then we remain free to 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 use that app. Is that am I getting that? Uh, that is correct. Right? Yeah. Um, your point to the Lifeline Pass is a very, is a very good one. Um, right now, most of those are still purchased in a physical form. Yeah. Um, that is on day one of the tr transition to the new system that the agency has been very clear that we want that to be available. Um, it will actually uh, go very well with the, the START program, which is the single ride discount that the Clipper program currently has. So that will be available. Um, our day pass will be available. Um, so all of those, we absolutely have the ability, as long as the Clipper system cannot meet not only the, um, the product availability, but in a way that customers can use it in the, in the best way. Um, so that is why MTC has allowed us um, to do this. So, you know, for example, the single ride tickets, we were very clear to have them available on Muni Mobile because right, you know, before the new equipment came in, it would take four to five days for people to get it. So they, they've allowed for that. Um, we will not transition off of Muni Mobile until both the customer features and products are available. Got it, thanks again. And thank you, Mr. Menard, for the BLA report. Um, and uh, seeing no other questions or comments and having heard uh, 
public comment, I will go ahead and um, move to send item two to the full board with positive recommendation. Please call the roll. Thank you. I'm the motion to forward the item to the full board with the positive recommendation. Vice Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Member Stephanie. Aye. Stephanie, aye. Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you. Uh, the motion passes. And um, Madam Clerk, please call item three. Item number three is a resolution approving a historical property contract between Julie A. Chin, the owner of 90, 942 through 944 Fell Street, and the City and County of San Francisco, and authorizing the planning director and assessor recorder to execute and record the historical property contract. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2498-1116218, then pound, then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. The system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Clerk and colleagues. Um, this, uh, the property that's the subject of this item is within 500 feet of my residence and therefore I am uh, required to recuse myself from it and I uh, would ask uh, that one of uh, one of my colleagues make a motion to excuse me, and I would like to turn over the gavel to uh, Vice Chair Chan to chair in my absence. I move to recuse uh, Chair Preston. Please call the roll. On the motion to excuse Supervisor Preston, Vice Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Member Stephanie. Aye. Stephanie, aye. There are two ayes. Thank you. The motion has passed, and Pres Chair Preston has been, has been excused. Um, and I understand that we have, today we have uh, Gretel Gunther from the planning department to make the presentation on this item. We also have Michael Jine uh, from the Office of Assessors, as well as Julie Chain from, um, who's the property owner uh, for this, um, for 942 and 944 Fell Street. And the floor is yours. Thank you. Good morning, supervisors. Gretel Gunther, department staff. The item before you today is for a Mills Act historical property contract. Oops, and I do have a presentation. To begin, I will provide a general overview of the Mills Act program. The Mills Act legislation authorizes local governments to enter into 10-year rolling contracts with private owners of qualified historic properties. Every local landmark building, as well as those listed on the state or national register of historic places, is eligible to apply for the Mills Act program. Mills Act contracts provide property tax reductions to owners of historic properties who can then allocate the savings towards an appropriate maintenance and restoration plan. The planning department currently holds 45 active Mills Act contracts. It is the only local program that creates a financial incentive for proper maintenance of our city's architectural landmarks and prevents property owners from delaying large-scale projects that, when put off, often cause much greater and more costly damage to the building. The department received only one Mills Act application by the May 1 filing date. Department staff then reviewed the application for completeness and conducted a pre-approval inspection. Staff worked with the applicant to revise the rehabilitation and maintenance plans to ensure future work will be conducted in conformance with uh, the Secretary of Interior Standards for Rehabilitation. Future rehabilitation and restoration work required under the Mills Act contract will require building permits and an administrative certificate of appropriateness prior to the work being completed. 
942 through 944 Fells Street is located on the north side of Fells Street between Pierce and Steiner Streets. The subject property is a contributor to the Article 10 Alamo Historic District. It is a two-story over garage, wood frame, two-unit residential building built in 1908. The subject property is currently valued by the assessor's office at under $3 million and meets all eligibility requirements. The proposed rehabilitation plan includes siding repair and painting, roof replacement, repair of the entry stairs and retaining walls, repair of the front doors, repair of detailing on the front facade and entryway, garage door replacement, window repair replacement, and repair of the rear yard stair. Rehabilitation work is estimated to cost $308,100 over 10 years. The proposed maintenance plan includes annual inspection of the exterior facades, windows, doors, foundation, and an inspection of the front stairs every two years and an inspection of the roof every five. Any needed repairs will be made in kind and will avoid altering, removing, or obscuring character-defining features of the building. Maintenance work is estimated to cost approximately $8,655 annually. Your packets contain a draft valuation for 942 through 944 Fell Street, outlining the potential property tax savings. These figures were compiled by the assessor recorder's office. The assessor recorder estimated the property owner will receive $11,687 per year in property tax savings as a result of the Mills Act contract. Staff also reviewed the application on the merits of five priority considerations. The five priority considerations are necessity, distinctiveness, recently designated city landmarks, investment, and legacy business. 942 through 944 Fell Street meets three of the five priority considerations, necessity, investment, and distinctiveness. The property meets the necessity criterion as it is in danger of deterioration, and the proposed rehabilitation will require significant associated costs to ensure the preservation of the subject property. The property also meets the investment criterion as the property owner will invest additional money towards the rehabilitation other than for routine maintenance. Finally, the property meets the distinctiveness criterion as the proposed rehabilitation project will preserve a contributing building to the Alamo Square Historic District. Planning staff is happy to answer any questions you may have about these considerations. The application review process also includes determining whether a property meets minimum eligibility requirements. In addition to being formally listed on a local, state, or national register, eligibility is limited to properties with an assessed value of $3 million or less for residential buildings and $5 million or less for commercial properties. These requirements and priorities are consistent with the Historic Preservation Commission's Resolution Number 1127, centering preservation planning on racial and social equity and the Planning Department's Racial and Social Equity Initiative. The application before you today for 942 through 944 Fell Street meets all minimum eligibility requirements and does not require an exemption as it is valued by the assessor's office at under $3 million. In conclusion, department staff recommends that the Government Audit and Oversight Committee recommend approval of the Mills Act application for 942 through 944 Fell Street to the full Board of Supervisors for the following reasons. One, the property is a qualified historic resource. Two, the rehabilitation and maintenance plans are found to be appropriate. And three, all proposed work is intended to meet the Secretary of Interior standards. This concludes my presentation. Elizabeth and I of planning staff are happy to answer any questions you may have. Michael Gine from the Assessor's Office is also present and available to answer any questions pertaining to the valuation and estimated tax savings. Uh, if possible, the owner of 942 through 944 Fell Street, Julie Chin, is also in attendance today. 
and was available to speak on behalf of her application and answer any questions. So if there is time, Julie is available to speak. Thank Great. you. Um, if, if no questions, would it be okay if that way then we have the property owner to just say a few words um, about the interest of why, and thank you so much for reaching out, and um, I'm, I look forward to just hearing from you today why you're interested in this property and the work that to be done, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you, supervisors, for taking the time uh, to review my application. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk about myself, the building, and what we gain from this proposal. Um, sorry, I'm going to be wearing a mask throughout. I have a three-month-old at home, just still in a pandemic, you know. And congratulations um, on the three months old. Yeah. My name is Julie Chin, and I was born at UCSF Parnassus, where my dad was a resident. I'm a District 7 homeowner. I am a mom of two young kids. My husband just completed 10 years of service for the city and county of San Francisco, working at DPH through the pandemic. My family is invested in the city now and for the future. Um, I have a deep relationship with the arts myself. I grew up in a historic home with um, old architecture. I, I studied art history down at the farm. Um, I have a career, uh, I've pursued a career in stagecraft, working regularly with arts nonprofits, including San Francisco Opera, the Symphony, I love huge sets. Um, and I just enjoy um, and support free public art. I really see it as a public good. So long story short, a few years ago, many years ago at this point, I lost my rent control department in a two alarm fire um, and I needed a new home. And this one really spoke to me. Um, it has Victorian or Edwardian de detailing inside and out. And that really sang to my inner art historian. <laughs> um, it happens to be close to the Painted Ladies in Alamo Square. And in fact, 944 Fell Street is the tourist bus stop for the big red tourist bus. They get off the bus and that's the building they see. Um, it's, it's super visible and it's also highly exposed. If you saw it there, it's like a row house with no, with no, with no row. Um, it's highly exposed to pollution, sun, and weather. There, so there are two, um, three bedrooms, one and a half bath condos, and they're now both tenant occupied. They were converted by the previous owner in the 1990s. And so at the time, my objective was to take care of the home. Restoration wasn't on my radar. I didn't have a clue about the cost of that care and repair of, that these buildings really require. Um, to maintain their integrity, um, but I do want to commit to that. I am committing to that. So the, my intent in this application is to serve the community, really, through stewardship of this property um, and to contribute to the fabric of historic San Francisco for everyone's enjoyment in whatever way I can. Uh, so I, the way I see stewardship is it's labor of love and pride of ownership in the building. Um, I'll be putting my own resources into it. I've already made a significant investment. I've refinanced um, my mortgages. I've negotiated additional loans, and I've invested a lot of time <laughs> in, in doing so. Um, and so as a steward, I may be the caretaker, but I am not the only beneficiary of this work, for sure. So the beneficiaries here, I think, you have some tenants. Um, both of the tenants in both units uh, have been there since the mid since mid 2021, at the height of the pandemic. So after the exodus, um, they will not be displaced by the work. I want to keep them. I spend a lot of time trying to make sure I have tenants that will take care of the building and care for it in the same way that I do. My goal is to keep their rents affordable, also, um, so that I can retain them, because uh, it's hard to find tenants that that. Uh, think like that. Uh, both have renewed their leases and they've also expressed interest for staying for years and they've also endorsed the application. Um, I think tourists from around the world will benefit from just seeing right as I step off an example of this painted lady um, and it sets out our, one of our best foot 
uh, for hospitality to the tourists. The, the general San Francisco public as well. Um, I see beautiful architecture and visual art as a public good. Um, and additionally, I, I really feel that the environment and the surroundings uh, one lives in inhabits, uh, the surrounding one inhabits influences a culture and people's well-being. Um, and finally, there are benefits to the city itself as it adds to the cultural and historic fabric of San Francisco for San Francisco today and also in the future. Um, so thanks again for your time and attention allowing me to pre present this opportunity to serve in my humble capacity, this city that is near and dear to my heart. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Chin. And so um, let's uh, open up. Thank you so much for the presentation, and thank you, uh, Planning Department. Uh, if I don't see any questions uh, from Supervisor Stephanie, then Madam Clerk, um, let's open this for public comment. Thank you, Madam Vice Chair. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment for item number three? If so, please line up along your right. Remote public call-in members, please press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you've been unmuted. As there's no in-person comment, there are currently zero members in the queue as well. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Seeing no more public comment, public comments is now closed. Um, so I would like to move this to the full board with positive recommendation. Uh, Madam Clerk, could you please take a roll call on this item? Thank you. On the motion to move the item to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. Member Stephanie? Aye. Stephanie, aye. There are two ayes. Great. Now this item has been approved, sent to full board for recommend, with recommendation. Um, so let's invite Chair Preston back to the committee. Thank you, Vice Chair Chan, um, and uh, Madam Clerk, please call items four through 10 together. Our resolutions receiving and approving the Tourism Improvement District and Moscone Expansion District, the Yerba Buena, East Cut, Castro Upper Market, Ocean Avenue, Discover Polk, and the Lower Polk Community Benefit District's annual reports for fiscal year 2020 through 2021. Members of the public who wish to make public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2498-111-6218. Then pound, then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. The system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted, and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. So colleagues, the, these items are uh, resolutions receiving and approving the annual reports of uh, six different community benefits districts, um, as well as the annual report of the Tourism Improvement District and the Moscone Expansion District. And we have um, Mimi Hiraki from uh, OEWD here for uh, an, an overview. Um, and then we'll be hearing from representatives of each of the different uh, districts. They'll have um, three to five minutes uh, each to present their reports. We do have a lot of them, so uh, I'm requesting that each one of them uh, try to be brief. I know there's a lot to, to cover, um, but we want to be sure to, to get through all those as well as questions that we may have. So uh, we'll take um, uh, Ms. Rocky first, and then um, when we hear from each of the 
uh, CBD rep representatives will, will break after each one just to see if there are any questions on that particular uh, CBD before we go on to the next one. So the floor is yours and uh, welcome. Good morning. Uh, thank you, um, Chair Preston and Supervisors. My name is Mimi. I um, am a project specialist at OEWD, and today I'm presenting my annual reports for fiscal year 2020 to 2021 for the eight CBDs and bids listed on the first slide. As you may know, the CBDs and bids are governed by two pieces of legislation, the first one being the California Streets and Highways Code, Section 36600, known as the 1994 Act, and also the second one being the San Francisco Business and Tax Regulation Code, known as Article 15. OEWD is charged with ensuring that all CBDs are meeting their management plans and spending their assessment funds accordingly. These findings um, are detailed in the memo of your packets and summarized in today's presentation. This slide provides an overview of all the CBDs and bids that we will be reviewing today. The majority are property-based districts, except for uh, the TID, the Tourism Improvement District, and Moscone Expansion District. For each CBD, OEWD reviews four benchmarks. The first benchmark uh, compares their management plan management plan budget uh, to their current year budget. The second benchmark looks at if they've met their non-assessment revenue obligations. The third one compares their current year budget to their actuals uh, spending. And then the benchmark four is whether the CBD identified their carry forward and designated projects. So first up, we have the TID and MED. Uh, they only have three benchmarks as they are not required to um, raise non-assessment revenue uh, for both districts, they have met um, all of their benchmarks during this reporting period. We found that both districts' special assessment revenues were significantly impacted by the pandemic. Uh, the formula for both districts is based on a percentage of revenue generated from hotel room purchases in the city. Um, the lack of assessment forced the MED to tap into its debt service and stabilization fund, and similarly for TID, they had to uh, use their contingency and reserve fund. Uh, the TID is set to expire in 2023, and the renewal and expansion process um, will be or has already been completed in fall 2022. Uh, the San Francisco Tourism Improvement District Management Corporation and SF Travel followed OEWD's recommendation to begin the renewal process in fiscal year 2019 to 2020. Um, we received, as a city, we received the management district plan in spring 2020, but the TID and OEWD mutually agreed to pause the renewal process due to the pandemic and expansion proponents. OEWD and project proponents resumed the renewal and expansion um, management district plan from winter 2020 through summer 2021. Uh, the project proponents have hosted and continued to have hosted informational meetings for ratepayers. In May 2020, SFTIDMC took a line of credit of $5 million, which was supposed to come to term in 2021. Um, in August 2021, SFTDMC worked with the lending agency to extend the term to December 2022 and is in progress of finalizing the agreement. For Yerba Buena CBD, they met three benchmarks. They missed benchmark two to raise their non-assessment revenue. Uh, we recommend the CBD quantify the dollar value of in-kind donations and volunteer hours and include the amount in their non-assessment revenue. 
uh, we found the CBD pivoted programs and services well in response to the economic health and impacts of the pandemic. Um, some select highlights for this CBD is that they provide a total of $130,000 to small businesses and nonprofits through their Yerba Buena Community Benefit Fund. Uh, they adjusted the focus for the, of their community guides to check in with neighborhood merchants and businesses during the incremental reopening of the economy, as well as assist the clean team. They funded the Yerba Buena Gardens Art Lawn Art Project and also hosted Yerba Buena Day in summer 2021. Uh, they have no reported violations of the Brown Act. Um, they complied with, with surveillance technology reporting requirements. They have an active board and committee members and they are well positioned to carry on their mission. For the East Cut CBD, they have met all four benchmarks during this reporting period. Uh, we found that the pandemic significantly impacted the CBD's ability to provide programming for its parks, resulting in large carryover amounts. Uh, they partnered with 13 restaurants for their East Cuts programs, and they also launched their um, East Cut Seats program. Uh, they administered their first merchant survey in March 2021. Um, in with goals to build a better relationship uh, with merchants and understand their needs. Uh, we have a recommendation to incorporate their merchant survey feedback where possible as the CBD plans uh, their spending down their carryover amounts. There are no reported violations of the Brown Act and they've complied with um, the surveillance technology reporting requirements. They have an active board and committee members. They are well positioned to carry on their mission. For the Castro Upper Market CBD, we have split up the reporting periods into two. Um, this is because the CBD renewed in May 2020 and began operating under a new management plan uh, with different budget breakdowns and different non-assessment revenue requirements uh, for the second half of the reporting year. So for the first half of the reporting year, they met three benchmarks, they missed benchmark one, and for the second half of the reporting year, they met all four benchmarks. As mentioned, the CBD has successfully renewed on May 19, 2020 and began operating on a new management plan mid-year. They adjusted services to respond to the pandemic as evidenced as by them receiving and responding to 60% increased hotspot and scrub requests compared to last year. They continue to partner with the city to implement the Castro Cares Grant and Jane Warner Plaza Grant. There are no reported violations of the Brown Act. They complied with OEWD's um, memo regarding the surveillance technology reporting requirements. Uh, they have an active board and committee members and they're well positioned to carry on their mission. For Ocean Avenue, um, they have met all four benchmarks, or sorry, they have met three of the four benchmarks. They missed benchmark four to identify their carry forward amounts and designated projects. Um, we recommend that the CBD uh, adopt the, uh, or utilize uh, the OEWD provided annual reporting template to ensure they require, that they include all required reporting fields. Uh, we found that the CBD partnered with city agencies to help provide some business um, technical assistance and facade improvement to some of the businesses along the corridor. Uh, we do recommend that they perform weekly merchant walks and host weekly office hours to listen to concerns of all the district's businesses as the organization does not have a physical office. Um, we also recommend that they uh, ensure that outreach materials are culturally competent when they are translated into Chinese and Spanish. Um, we found that the CBD continued to perform core cleaning services well. Uh, we do recommend that they collect quantifiable metrics for their cleaning services so as to demonstrate to the community and city stakeholders the CBD's impact as well as ensuring accountability. 
Um, we also recommend that they prioritize the implementation of the Ocean Avenue Association Strategic Plan, which was developed in September 2020. I've included um, some key select findings from that strategic plan. Uh, we've, uh, uh, in the plan, they was stated the board is undereducated on its legal and moral responsibilities to the assessment payers in the city. Uh, there is a lack of a board handbook or document that defines the board rule, its legal responsibility, and the organization's expectations of board members. The board is not adequately meeting fiduciary responsibilities, either organizational or financial. There is a lack of participation by board members, with two to three members controlling the meetings and strongly influencing board decisions. There is a lack of understanding and questioning of programs, finances, and the executive director's performance. There are communication challenges between the board and the executive director. The board is not clearly informed or kept up to date on the operations and programs of the CBD. There is a lack of a consistent distribution of timely financial reports to the board. The board does not receive an operation report or balance sheet or a cash flow projection on a consistent monthly basis. Contracts for services, grant funding, and grant funds receivable are not consistently reviewed and approved by the board. The fiscal year 2020 to 2021 budget, which began on July 1st, 2020, was not reviewed and approved by the board uh, until January 2021. There is no clear focus or board unity on the organization's purpose, vision, uh, and its relationship with other community organizations. The CBD has limited relationships with the property owners that pay the assessments to the district. There is inconsistent communication to the property owners, uh, businesses, and residents of the district. There is neither a consistent communication strategy nor marketing strategy to attract customers uh, and investors to the district, and there is a lack of staff capacity to execute projects and programs beyond the CBD's core cleaning program. Uh, the strategic plan um, includes a list of recommendations, uh, page 7 to 13 of the plan, to address these findings. Uh, OEWD has requested the Office of the Controller to perform an audit um, of the organization in fiscal year 2022 to 2023 to gauge the progress of the organization is making at uh, implementing the strategic plans uh, recommendations, um, and also to ensure the organization is spending, funding properly, and the overall effectiveness and efficiency of the organization. Uh, they complied with the uh, surveillance technology reporting requirements. Moving on to Discover Polk CBD, they met three of their benchmarks. They missed benchmark two to raise uh, the non-assessment revenue obligations. Uh, the district saw an increase in trash and waste litter during this review period. Despite the cleaning staff shortage, the overall cleanliness of the street did not decline due to increased staff efforts and the installment of new Big Belly trash cans. Uh, the CBD launched Discover Polk's Delivers program, where volunteers delivered food and beverages from local businesses to customers. They installed lights on Polk Street and projected holiday images to activate the public realm during the holidays. Uh, we found uh, there were no recorded violations of the Brown Act. They complied with the surveillance technology reporting requirements. They have an active board and committee members. Uh, they are well positioned to carry on their mission. And our last CBD is Lower Polk. Uh, they have met all four of their benchmarks. Uh, they performed well in delivering core cleaning services to the community. They supported the district businesses um, that were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic with their tenant landlord clinic. Uh, we have recommendations around how they can strengthen their administration 
executive capacity. Um, one is to increase uh, board engagement with fixed board meetings to ensure stakeholders are kept abreast of the latest developments and to help ensure the board is complying with its governance role. Um, the second is to prioritize the submission of the annual reports and necessary financial documents to maintain in full compliance with state law, uh, as this is their third year um, that the CBD has struggled to um, submit the required documents in a timely manner. Uh, the CBD has reported that they will be working with a consultant to improve their board engagement, and we will continue to monitor the situation. Um, there are no violations of the Brown Act. Uh, they complied with the surveillance technology reporting requirements, and they are well positioned to carry on uh, their mission. Um, so this is the uh, this concludes the portion of OEWD's presentation. Are there any questions for us? I. I think there will likely be questions as we hear from the individual uh, directors. Um, I don't know, uh, I'm not seeing any colleagues with questions uh, overall. So thank you for your, your work and presentation. And obviously this is uh, an annual, uh, annual uh, event where we bring a lot of these before the committee and a lot of work goes on. I do wanna recognize and thank my uh, legislative aide, Melissa Hernandez, who I know has worked uh, closely with you in, in bringing these forward uh, today. But why don't we go ahead and uh, hear from our first, uh, our first district. This is the Tourism Improvement District and uh, Moscone Expansion. Uh, and um, Mr. Frensos, the uh, Chief Operating Officer at SF Travel. I don't know what hat you're wearing. You can introduce yourself. I'm sorry. Go go right ahead. The floor is yours. You have three to five minutes. Yeah. Great. Uh, good morning, uh, Chair Preston and yeah. committee members. I just wanted to report out uh, first on the Tourism Improvement District results for 21. Uh, our meetings and conventions uh, department generated over 850 meetings this past uh, for that year. Uh, only seven Moscone events uh, due to COVID, uh, but still with an economic impact or direct spending of $222 million. Uh, the sales team booked over 641,000 room nights in 21. For future years, uh, we were able to attend 72 virtual meetings, 18 in person. That's still far below what we typically would do. Uh, leisure visitor uh, comprised 81% of all visitors, uh, which is... Uh, higher than it would typically be when we have much higher meetings in, a t uh, in the city. Um, the Visitor Information Center is still closed due to lack of funding. Uh, did want to share in our marketing efforts, uh, the next slide, in our marketing efforts, uh, we had over 17 million visitors uh, to uh, San Francisco. Uh, we get a lot of uh, media and PR through uh, media impressions. We had over 1.2 billion, uh, which actually generates, uh, has a great value in terms of advertising value over 96 million. Uh, our website is a huge generator of visitors as well. We have 3.1 million unique visitors to the site, which also helps uh, drive economic impact of over 107 million. Uh, social media is a really important platform for us as well. Uh, it's, it's a big influence on uh, folks coming to San Francisco. We have over 295,000 followers on Instagram, over 200,000 on Twitter, and almost 700,000 on Facebook. Uh, moving on to the Moscone Expansion District, uh, still uh, the over half a billion dollar renovation 
uh, is a key reason front and center for attracting new and repeat business to San Francisco. Uh, the new layout and configuration allows for much more flexibility, allowing for better accommodations of the meeting planner needs. Uh, so we continue to promote that. Um, we did prepare that year for hosting MPI, which is a Meeting Professionals International Conference. Uh, it's quite a, a big event for the city. We bring key meeting planners and almost 1,600 people attended. Uh, was considered quite successful. Um, and lastly, uh, in the management plan, we allow to, uh, there's an allocation of funds collected for the MED that go to an incentive fund, and over half a million, uh, over $500,000 uh, is in that incentive fund. It's used to uh, attract new business, uh, and during COVID, we used it to try to retain business uh, for future years. We still continue to be challenged with uh, bringing business into the city, you know, there's concern with conditions uh, of the streets and other issues that meeting planners are, tend to be a little apprehensive. Uh, they're wanting to come first, see how things go, and then make commitments to coming in the future. Um, that's all I had. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer. Thank you very much, Mr. Francis. And, and um, I did have a question on, there's, my understanding is there's the $5 million um, line of credit Yes. Um, and that was, um, I, I believe that was supposed to come up in 2021. And then I think last year there were discussions happening with the lender. So can, can you just give us what the, the latest is on, on sure. that? Sure. So uh, the, the reason for the loan, uh, we needed to pay off the construction costs at the end of the project. Uh, Enough money had not been collected yet to uh, in the MED collections. It was still early. Uh, it was formed in 2013. Uh, so a loan was taken out uh, through the MED to pay off the construction costs. Uh, had COVID not happened, there would have been plenty of collections to have that paid off. Uh, due to the low amount of hotel stays, uh, we have not been able to uh, fund the stabilization fund fully uh, for the debt service. And so it's still outstanding. That money goes into that stabilization fund first before it would be transferred over to the MED, which would allow us to pay it off. Uh, since the loan is still outstanding, the banks have extended the loan. At, we do have an extension through 2023. Um, and so we're, but we are looking at uh, other potential options with other lenders to get better interest rates. Uh, so it is something that is ongoing in terms of trying to resolve that. Thank you. Colleagues, any, any questions for Mr. Francis? Thank you very much. And All right, we'll, thank we'll, you. We'll hear next, uh, we'll turn to the Yerba Buena CBD and uh, we have Executive Director uh, Scott Rowitz, welcome. Hello, Supervisors. Thank you for having me. I'm Scott Rowitz, the Executive Director for the Yerba Buena Community Benefit District. Um, just to give you a quick overview, um, we're a large, diverse footprint in downtown. Obviously, central to us is the Moscone Convention Center, the world-class museums like SF MoMA, Children's Museum, Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, etc. We have beautiful hotels, retail, entertainment venues, office buildings in the area, and a large mix of residents population mix of affordable housing, senior housing, market rate housing, um, home to more than 10,000 residents in Yerba Buena district. Um, our neighborhood is heavily 
economic and tourism driven by conventions and tourism um, and office workers. Um, our neighborhood certainly has not bounced back yet from 2021 when we were in the thick of it, which is this reporting period. Um, vacancies um, are still existing and um, the Delta variant during this period certainly was a setback for all involved in the world and the community. Um, and businesses were still operating in phases at that juncture. Um, a highlight real fast on the Yerba Buena Community Benefit Districts programs. We have different core services from cleaning, safety, streetscape, marketing, and community benefit grants. I'm gonna highlight three of them for you quickly today. Um, our community support for nonprofit grants in this year and we evolved the program, as mentioned earlier, to support both our small business community as well as our nonprofits, and made small grants to the business community from restaurants to shoe repairs, et cetera, to help with various factors during the pandemic period, as well as supporting our consistent nonprofits in the community and focusing those headquartered in our district during that period. Um, in addition, um, we heard a lot during the period about safety in the community, and we hosted online town halls, as well as um, town halls with Supervisor um, Haney at the time and Captain Falvey from the Southern Station, really listening to our community, what was going on at the time. It's a program we've continued since, but we um, also did large online safety surveys during that period. It implemented new solutions to our workflow, our processing, um, evolved our social services program and brought that program back online to really support our community and we adjusted our 10B officer program to really meet new needs for the community. So listening to our community was really key at that juncture, especially as the community was evolving. We as um, art and culture is so core to Yerba Buena, we did lots of different cultural art projects. We did a social distancing project with the Yerba Buena Gardens creating social art circles. We did a Filipino hero art in windows throughout the neighborhood and we did big belly art contests and art programs where we decorated and sort of tied to our core and who we were as a community. And finally, um, these are our actuals from the fiscal year. 40% of our program goes to safety and security, 37% to uh, cleaning, 8.4% to branding, and 12% to management operations, all within the management plan and the thresholds. And then this is our budget for the year that would follow, very similar in scope and shape and we'll talk about that in a year when we get a chance to talk to you then. That is it, please come visit us in Yerba Buena and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Um, I, I just wanted to ask you um, about the, um, uh, so the benchmark that wasn't met, right? Yes. Benchmark two, if you could just address that. I mean, this is the, the non-assessment um, revenue uh, yeah. or, or resources and, and, and you know I, so this is the second year that, that we're having the issues with that benchmark so I'm, I'm really I'm just curious if there's if you can address it but also just like what is the plan with respect to that that benchmark to, to what kind of changes so that when we're when we're here in the next one uh, with that we we're on target for benchmark two. And obviously at this period, we were in the knee deep of COVID. So that was a factor and affected our programs. We weren't doing our large outdoor programs like Yerba Buena Night. And so there were some obviously extenuating factors there. In addition, um, you heard from the OEDWD report, there's some opportunities to really look at how we're tracking hours on volunteerism, et cetera, in our community. But beyond that, and since then, we have procured large grants 
and um, I envision especially for 22, um, 23 and onward, we should be in real good shape from that perspective. So I think you'll see good things to come from us in the future on that program and that benchmark. Thank you, uh, Vice Chair Chan. Thank you, and uh, thank you, Chair. And so when you mentioned the large grants that you have received, um, where is the grant coming from and what do you intend to do with it? We have two that have come online very recently. One is a State of California Clean California grant where we've reinvested and in a sense doubled our cleaning services on 4th Street, 3rd Street, Market Street, Folsom Street, and Howard, sort of surrounding the convention center tied to the Moscone um, subway station and really cleaning and beautifying those streets. So that's one of our large grants that'll come on and it's a two-year program with the state. A second one, we have a large grant with OEWD where we will also be doing a new public art market and um, that'll come online in the spring. Okay. Can you tell us how much each grant? The grant from the state of California is $300,000 and the grant for um, OEWD is $200,000. There are other miscellaneous as well, and beyond those, we will still probably make our benchmarks, but they'll definitely put us even further along. Thank you, and I think your success is really critical to our downtown recovery, so we really look forward to seeing how we can support you uh, in those two, and, and just um, and I, I think that um, we'll look forward to also seeing you have more frequent communications with OEWD, just really making sure that uh, before you come back to us, that we can do whatever we can as a partner to help you meet that benchmark. Well, we appreciate that. I am new to the organization two weeks in, so I'm very excited <laughs> about our partnership with OEWD, and I think we have a lot of high potential going forward. So very important for our downtown community. It's good to start your, 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 your new gig here in the chamber, so it's good. Yeah, it's an honor. It's, <laughs> it's always good to start here. There should be some kind of rule where you get a little more time before you have to come in and present on your, your annual report. Next year. Yeah, exactly. I can only call myself new for a year. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, and um, also did want to, um, I, I, I don't know if uh, Ms. Rocky wanted to add anything around the benchmark uh, issue or that's been fully covered. No, Scott, Scott covered it okay. perfectly. Also summarized in the memo, we came to the same conclusion the first year they were uh, severely impacted by the pandemic, right? And like, we're still coming out of the pandemic. And as you mentioned, he has already successfully yeah. uh, secured many grants with the, which would go towards the non-assessment. Thank you. Yeah, and it, and it seems clearly like there, there's a plan on it. And also, I mean, I think every, we're all cognizant of the period of time in which these, you know, same with last year and this year, the period of time we're covering, that, that there's got to be some flexibility on, on some of these in light of the real world situation that everyone has been dealing with. Um, and before we go to our next uh, CBD, I also just want to recognize and, and thank uh, Chris Corgus, who's here also, who, who has worked tirelessly on all these is usually the one with the microphone and in the hot seat um but but i uh, just want to thank him for for all his work and congratulate him that he's not uh at the microphone and on the hot seat uh, today um but let's go ahead and uh move to our next uh one which is a east cut uh, cbd and uh we have uh uh, Executive Director Andrew Robinson here, and uh, the floor is yours up to five Great. minutes. Welcome. Uh, 
Good morning, Chair Preston, committee members. Really grateful for the opportunity to be here today. I have more to say than three minutes, but I'm going to do everything I can to go fast and happy to answer any questions uh, as I go to the, get to the end. Um, so the Eastcut CBD um, spans from Second Street to Stewart Street. For those of you that don't know, our name actually has its origins from the Second Street Cut, and we are east of the Second Street Cut, thus the East Cut. Um, we are San Francisco's sort of fastest growing residential and commercial neighborhoods. Um, we have built thousands of housing units. We roughly have about 13,000 residents at this time and millions of office square feet. Um, we are sort of right in the heart of downtown and what the new downtown might look like. But a part of the story that doesn't often get told about the East Cut CBD is that we have also the fastest growing uh, below market rate housing. We have over a thousand housing units that are below market rate that have been built in the last six years. And we have another 600 that are actually slated to go to where the former Transbay temporary terminal site was. Um, it's a point of pride in the neighborhood that we're you know, building a neighborhood that is socially, economically accessible and vibrant. Um, like most of my peers here today, uh, we provide public realm stewardship um, and we offer our services 24 hours a day. We, are one of the very we were the very first CBD to offer services 24 hours a day, seven days a week in San Francisco. I think that service level uh, has allowed us to have a consistent level of cleanliness and welcoming uh, vibrant spaces. Um, and I know that some other districts have adopted that model as well. Um, in fiscal year 2021, you can see on the screen, we removed almost 3,000 graffiti tags, 1,000 needles were collected, almost 150,000 pounds of trash, we're topping off city trash cans, and uh, we do have a team that every day is working to connect those living unsheltered in our neighborhood with services. Um, just a few pictures of our team in action. Not only do they clean the sidewalks, they also clean the curb line, which as we get new bike lanes in our neighborhood, and we have a, a great abundance of them now, I'm happy to say, it's a critical that we're staying on top of those, just a before and after, and then taking care of public seating in the neighborhood. Uh, but the biggest part of the CBD's budget that you may not know is actually we have parks as a line item in our budget. And so we uh, started the CBD, actually, the, the seed that began the CBD was at Emerald Park at 333 Harrison Street. Uh, the East Cut CBD, since its beginning, 2016, we provide all of the maintenance, horticulture, you name it, for that site. We do programming in that space. Um, and just in this reporting period, uh, Guy Place Mini Park opened. It is a, a space that we collaborate with San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department on to do stewardship, placemaking. You can see some fall uh, items that we have put in the park, and hopefully you saw the article that was just in the Chronicle identifying this as one of the best new park spaces in the city. Um, also, the East Cut CBD provides 80% of the funding to Salesforce Park. That covers the programming, horticulture, janitorial. Um, we have a joint board committee with the TJPA, who of course owns the park and the, the facility. Um, but it is right now the, the jewel in the neighborhood. It's a five acre park. During pre-COVID, we were offering about 30 free programs a week. Uh, of course, COVID very much curtailed that, and as um, Mimi mentioned, we ended up with some budget surplus, which we are now trying to invest in getting that program back up and even more robust. Um, and I just want to flag that we also have been very active in two future parks that are coming to the neighborhood. There'll be a one-acre park at the center of the t former temporary Transbay Terminal. It's the 
one on your left. It will not be named Block 3 Park. We're actually helping facilitate the naming process. Um, and then we are uh, sort of the East Cut CBD has stepped in to really see this park on the right, which we're calling East Cut Sports and Dog Park, formerly known as Underramp Park, be realized. It's a park that's been in planning since 2011. We have 90% of the funding, but we know there's a deficit on the operating side. And so we've got a deal with OCII and the TJPA to raise about $5 million to see that park be realized and then for the CBD to maintain it and operate it. Finally, in a city known for neighborhoods, uh, you know, we are always trying to help this neighborhood be part of that fabric. And so we've taken over uh, the former temporary terminal on an interim basis and are doing programming there uh, every week, every day. Starting Monday, World Cup Village, 8 a.m. we start, 11 a.m. is the USA's first game, please come. Uh, we also do regular communication with newsletters, light pole banners during COVID. We did several mask events during the neighborhood. We launched East Cut Eats, which is where you offered free delivery to restaurants in the neighborhood using volunteers. So people, these restaurants didn't have to pay fees related to DoorDash, Uber Eats, you name it. We also launched East Cut Seats, providing subsidized seating outdoors for some of the restaurants as well. Finally, our budget. Uh, as I've sort of said going along the way, the biggest slice of this pie is for parks and then cleaning and safety make up the rest of the line share with small bits for communications, marketing, and administration. With that, I'll take any questions. Thank you. Vice Chair Chan. Thank you, Chair Preston. I have quick questions about the earlier, and thank you so much for the sure. presentation, um, and thank you so much for all the programming, especially the Guy Menu Park. I think it's it's really a wonderful space. Um, and I, the question that I have is uh, in one of your slides that you mentioned about security 24-7, um, also at this match service for 24-7. Mm -hmm. And so could you explain a little bit about security? Like, are they in uniform? Are they on foot? Or are they in the car? How does that work? That's a great question. Uh, during the day, basically from 6 a.m. till about 9 o'clock at night, it is pretty much all on foot. We do have a little electric vehicle that moves through the neighborhood as well. Um, as it gets into the overnight, we have a truck and we have a team of two who patrol the neighborhood in that truck, always in uniform. And then well, what is a dispatch service and how, how does that work? Is it like every day, like constituents can call the dispatch service or is it only reserved for staff? No, no, exactly right. So anybody, whether you're a visitor or resident, you name it, coming to the neighborhood, you can call our dispatch, report graffiti, report a mental health issue, and our team responds to those things. One thing I didn't feel like I had time to mention is we've actually begun a pilot project with a 311 system so that we're getting 311 uh, cons constituent uh, reports delivered to us and we are responding to those and closing those out as well. That program actually has expanded outside of this reporting period to six other CBDs. Good to know. And then, so then the dispatch um, service, so like if I am visiting the yes. East Coast, do I, where, where do I, like, do I call, I yes. mean, besides 311, do I see a numbers or There are numbers, you can call us, you can tweet us, you can email us, text us, we will respond in any of those fashions. And those numbers are display, sorry. That's okay, no, go ahead. And so are those numbers display, or those information for dispatch service display anywhere as a signage? Yeah, we have it, like our team has it always and hands out cards to folks as needed. You know, it's on our website. Uh, if you were to look up our sort of social media feed, you'd find it there as well. Interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vice Chair Chan. And um, 
following up on that to um, Ms. Haraki, I, I'm curious, could you describe more broadly, because the, the phenomenon that was just discussed, which is, I think, a, a bit of a shift where some of these, where it's seeming to be more efficient from the perspective of uh, CBDs and a lot of residents to have some of these 311 calls going directly to, to the CBD. I know this has been um, something in the Tenderloin as well uh, for, the, for the Tenderloin Community Benefits uh, District. And it, it seems to be something, at least from most of the CBDs, that is, is well received. Um, but I'm just wondering as a, if you could speak in either you or Mr. Corgus um, as to any, any strategic thoughts about that? Is this something you're looking to expand to other CBDs? Is it by request? What, what, what's going on? Well, first I'd want to acknowledge and thank many of the CBD leaders here today who came up with this idea, specifically Christian Martin. I think when he was over at Lower Polk, he was one of the innovators there. So this is not an OEWD idea, but we were happy to support them where we could. Um, this has taken off. The success has proven that more CBDs are coming on. As you may know, all the CBDs are technically independent nonprofit entities, so it's up to each of their governing boards to opt into this and vote into it. Most of them are open to the concept. Some of them are concerned with the fact that this could be seen as CBDs doing baseline levels of service. The argument, the counter argument to that is sidewalk cleanliness is not a baseline city service as, we were, as we've been told um, from Public Works. It's mechanical street sweeping, the clear channel contract, uh, the recology contract, but sidewalks are really the responsibility of the property owner. 311 in itself is a baseline city service as a reporting tool, but the response may not be baseline, it may be supplemental. So because this response is supplemental, that's where the CBDs come in. It also creates um, economies of scale, it allows public works crews to respond to items that, or recology crews to respond to items that the CBDs cannot legally take care of. And we do get reports every Friday from 311 on, the, on this in terms of what was the CBD response rate in terms of time comparing it to the city, and as well as um, items the CBDs could not get t taken care of for whatever reason, and that could be due to contracts between uh, Recology and Comcast or Public Works, or it could be due to it just being right outside the CBD service zone, and as you know, the special assessment funding can only be used in the CBD zone. Thank you for that additional comment. one thing to that? Sorry. Please, go it just, ahead. You know, all of our districts have their own phone numbers, actually, have a dispatch like yeah. the one that we were just talking about. But if you're coming to San Francisco, I don't think you should have to know 12 or 16 different phone numbers, and 311 provides a great service and a way for us to be dispatched nimbly. Thank you, Mr. Robinson. Uh, and... Um, so next up, the Castro Upper Market uh, CBD, and uh, we have uh, Andrea Aiello, Executive Director. Welcome. Hey, you got it right. Good morning, Supervisors. Um, thank you for the opportunity to present from, on behalf of all of us. I think it's important for the board members to understand really what the work that we're doing. So what am I doing here? I am doing just that. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so this, yes, is the p pandemic year, and um, this is our current map post-renewal. We renewed midway, um, and you can see 
that unlike a lot of the CBDs, um, the, C the Castro Upper Market Community Benefit District, we're very long. <laughs> we don't really, or not a, a confined rectangle or triangle, but it very, very spread out, and we go to different um, side streets or half side streets. Um, with our renewal, we um, split the district up into zones to better serve the needs of the neighborhood. Um, and so um, zone one is the heart of the Castro, and that zone gets the most service, and likewise, the property owners pay the highest assessment rate. Zone two gets less, you know, medium amount of services. Property owners, again, are paid like, you know, a little bit less than zone one, and then zone three is um, the least, um, and the least um, cost. Um, we renewed um, officially July 14th, 2020, um, in the heart of the pandemic. Um, with 72% of weighted assessments um, for a 15-year life. Um, and the focus of the renewed community benefit district in the Castro is really cleaning. We have totally doubled down um, on our cleaning services to really um, try to better meet the needs of the community because of the um, lots and lots of unhoused sleeping on the sidewalks. Um, and the zones were designed to better meet the needs of the neighborhood. Um, our renewed CBD rolled out in January of 2021 with services. Um, during the pandemic, uh, the Castro Community Benefit District served as a hub for distributing um, PPE to all of our merchants. Um, and I think one of the biggest challenges was trying to figure out how to clean the sidewalks while there's gym equipment out on the sidewalk and, and all the businesses were out on the sidewalk. And then trying to figure out how to steam clean the sidewalks when there's no place to park our truck because there's parklets all over the place. So, but, you know, we worked with all the merchants and we figured it out and, um, and now we just have a system. We have a lot of standing committees, um, very involved board members, um, and our committees um, have community members. We don't limit our committee membership to just the board members, but we have a lot of um, community folks on our um, committees. We do get grants from the from OEWD. Um, cleaning is the biggest thing we do from graffiti removal over there on the left to um, sweeping the sidewalks, curb line, picking up gutter, litter. Um, yes, we you know top off all those city trash cans and we do have a, um, a dispatch number for um, cleaning and safety services. Um, the biggest thing to notice in 2020, as far as our numbers, is the increase from the previous year in graffiti. Um, we increased our um, graffiti abatement by 31% um, last year, and then um, also in the collection of human feces, um, that increased by 57% from the previous year. Um, the first half of 2020-21, um, so from July through December, we still were contracting with the patrol special police to provide um, a foot patrol and a um, during the day, vehicle patrol at night. That ended um, December 31st, 2020. Um, and we transitioned to um, community ambassadors only. Um, this is grant funded through our Castro Cares grant. Um, and we have um, unarmed community ambassadors out seven days a week. We do work really closely with, with HSOC um, and um, provide a combination of 
outreach and support to folks on the street and also a lot of assistance to merchants. This is our community ambassadors at work, outreach to homeless and also just outreach and talking to passers-by and people in the neighborhood. That's it. Thank you very much. If you have any questions, happy to ask, answer. Th Thank you, Ms. Aiello, appreciate it um, very much. And, and I do want to note and, and, and support that, that transition from, the, from police to ambassadors, I, I think, was a, was a positive uh, step. And I'm glad to yes, see I, that. Yes, I think so, too. People happen. really, um, and they're out during the day when people really are out and about and they need them. Right. Um, I, I also, and, and this, um, not exactly. I, I don't think this was a CBD sponsored thing, but I, ju I just want to make sure uh, there, you know, the Castro merchants obviously very um, publicly engaged in, I don't even know how to call it, like sort of a threatened, ta threatened tax <laughs> revolt regarding dissatisfaction with city uh, services in the area. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity, just get clear on, sometimes it can be hard for the public to know what's the CBD, obviously, a lot of the same folks are involved and in working closely with the C CBD. A and I just wanted to get clear on whether the CBD sort of had a position or not on that. I, I will say that I found, so while I understand the need for additional services and some fair points around that, I found it a little alarming to have uh, a group of merchants essentially threatening a, a, a tax revolt. I'm, I'm all for and, you know, have, have, have seen many different uh, threatened tax revolts and, and folks who oppose war and, uh, you know, other things. I've, I've never seen a bunch of merchants uh, say they're going to stop paying their taxes. So um, just, just wanted to, I, 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 don't, I don't believe the CBD was formally involved in endorsing, not endorsing, I just wanted to get that. Yeah, we were su you. as surprised as you were. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, we were not involved in that um, process or that decision-making at all. We're completely two very separate organizations, although we collaborate a lot. Um, we're very separate boards of directors, and yeah. Great. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, colleagues, any questions or comments? All right. Thank you very much, uh, Ms. Aiello. We will move on to our next. Thank you. Uh, uh, our next one, which is Ocean Avenue CBD, and welcome up uh, Christian Martin, Executive Director. Thank you, Chair Preston. Oh, sorry. Thanks. Good morning, Supervisor Stephanie, Vice Chair Chan. Uh, my name is Christian Martin. I am the Contracted Executive Director for Ocean Avenue Association. I've been on the job for about six weeks. And I want to start by acknowledging the findings and recommendations uh, from that OEWD report. And they are fair and accurate for the most part. So my challenge is addressing each one, one by one, and getting our, in, our house in order and getting the uh, CBD back on track. So I'll talk a little bit about some of the uh, successes of the past year, um, and again, I was not here for most of the year, so I can't speak to this stuff with uh, intimate detail, but um, if you have any questions, I'm happy to go get those after afterwards. Um, so they reviewed and updated contracts with uh, Recology, Cleanscapes, um, did some work with Public Works, um, uh, 
a new 20 mile per hour on Ocean Avenue uh, marketing campaign was launched and initiated um, and they developed and participated in a series of events to bring neighbors to Ocean Avenue. Uh, by the numbers, a few stats, um, over 25,000 pounds of trash collected, uh, lots of graffiti, 200 blocks of power washing, uh, response to 311 calls, or I think they actually made these 311 calls. They're not part of the program that uh, Andrew was talking about. Um, we trimmed 50 palm trees along the corridor and other trees and picked up a lot of the code brown. Um, developed a database of all businesses uh, through our um, grant from OEWD. We have an outstanding um, staff member who is doing a lot of the business outreach work along the corridor and um, looking forward to supporting him in those efforts. Um, we picked up our social media um, accounts and did more posting uh, regularly for that. Um, I talked a little bit about the 20 mile per hour um, initiative. Um, all intersections on the, on the avenue um, have a traffic light, except for, I'm not sure why that's important. Um, Oh, um, beautification. So through a grant from Paint the Void, uh, they added temporary artwork to a lot of the public fixtures, um, added uh, holiday decorations to some of the trees, and worked with MTA to steam clean the plaza at, uh, at the bus terminal there. Um, a lot of aid to merchants, talked a little bit about that events and activations, and we hope to um, augment this uh, schedule next year with a number of um, additional events that bring foot traffic out to the corridor. Um, worked with um, a lot of community members, Lick Wilmerding, um, the community college, and um, you know various um, uh, events that, uh, you know, do good in the neighborhood. So looking forward, uh, we have initiated a, uh, a consultant to come in and train the board on proper kind of engagement, um, personnel policies and procedures, financial policies. So that work is underway. We're looking forward to that. And we are also um, in the early stages of a renewal and expansion. Uh, so uh, once we get our house in order, we'll be looking to um, bolster the organization financially and um, administratively. So budget is relatively small, but um, we plan to grow that through grants and other fundraising activities. So with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you and, uh, and welcome uh, to, to your new role there. And, and I, I guess my question is less, I mean, I, I 
could go into a lot of the details, but I think OAWD has covered them, and I think we're all aware of, of the ongoing uh, issues um, with this CBD, and there are many of the things that I know you're setting out to, to address and try to, to, to right the ship here. But I am curious, and, and maybe this is more for, for OEWD, um, so this is the second year, right, where we're dealing with substantial um, not, problems in not just hitting benchmarks, right, but in basic governance of the CBD. And I think we're all aware of that problem. So I, I don't know, you know, our role here is one of, of hearing the update accepting an annual report. It's not one of, of, you know, we're not dictating the policies of a CBD. But it does, seeing this now a second year in a row, it does raise for me the question of like, what is the path of ahead? Hopefully, you know, Mr. Martin will do uh, fantastic things on, on, a, on a timeline here. But I, I guess I'm wondering like, wh what is, in terms of accountability on these things, right? Like this isn't the place or the body, right, to, to do it. But, but who is, right? Like if we continue to see, and, and, and again, with no disrespect, because I, I think you are, you are going to move this CBD in a better direction, right? But, but in terms of the time frame on which we expect those kind of changes, what happens if we don't see certain timelines met? What, can, can you go over just what that mechanism is? And if you want well, to speak to it as well, Mr. Martin, that, that, sure. that's fine. Sure. Well, I mean, ultimately, the, you know, the ratepayers on Ocean Avenue have the ultimate say. And if things don't improve, they can dissolve the district. And that is the, the ultimate accountability. Um, beyond that, um, so thank you, supervisors. Um, we have been working on this for a significant period of yeah. time, and I think, I, I think I'm being very generous with significant. Um, we have advised executive directors from OEWD's perspective, previous executive directors. We've advised board members on best solutions on how to, on how to, on how to write ship. We cannot force the board or the executive directors to do anything. Our power with the OAA right now is coming in the form of grants uh, with very mm -hmm. stringent conditions. And with those stringent conditions, I'm hoping we do have that turnaround. I am very happy they went with an experienced executive director in Mr. Martin. He's someone I think who can turn that district around. I think he's someone who can corral all the cats, so to speak. I'm very pleased that they chose um, Allison Hart who's going to be their board training consultant. Ms. Hart has extensive experience training boards, not only in San Francisco and other CBDs in San Francisco, including Yerba Buena, but also um, the CBD consortium slash alliance, whatever we're calling it these days. But she has that experience all over the state of California and Oregon as well. So she's very experienced. She comes with very high recommendations. I've heard nothing but good things. I think between the two of them, if they cannot write the ship, I, I would be significantly concerned. Uh, as they mentioned, um, I don't think this was actually mentioned, Supervisor Melgar has been incredibly supportive of efforts to write the ship there, and I'm incredibly thankful for her. They are up for renewal in 2020, or by 2025. At that point, ratepayers can choose not to vote them back in. I think that'd be, a, you know, that's up to them. If OEWD is not, or the supervisor's offices, and now it's two supervisors, District 7 and District 11, 
if they're not comfortable with this, uh, the shape they're in, they can choose not to sponsor legislation to renew them. And that's, and that's their prerogative, and OEWD will do whatever their decision is. So the ball is in Ocean Avenue's court. They do need to get their act together. and If not, the renewal is in jeopardy. The board does have additional powers under Article 15 of the Business and Tax Regulations Code, and by the board I'm referring to the Board of Supervisors. So in, ca in cases of fiscal malfeasance or uh, other crimes, the Board of Supervisors can dissolve a district with a, with a simple majority. But at the same time, the Board of Supervisors, um, I believe, can dissolve a district for any reason with a, with a supermajority. So th and that's been done before with the top of Broadway CBD, although that was at the behest of the uh, board of that district. So the board does have some authority here. It's not like you're completely powerless. Um, so those, those are two options. Those are obviously very far off. The controller's office is currently doing an audit. Based on the results of that audit, we can also make a determination with, in consultation with uh, the controller and the city attorney to suspend their um, assessment fund disbursements until they write their ship. So we do have some curative actions here. They are severe, obviously, withholding assessment funds. Um, but th those are possibilities. Thank you. Mr. Martin, look. Yeah, I just want to add, add something. Go ahead. Uh, I've been uh, directing benefit districts over 10 years. I am the director of the Soma West Community Benefit District, which is the largest uh, district in, in the city. We have uh, outstanding support in our community. Um, I'm on the board of the California Downtown Association, the board of the International Downtown Association. So I, I plan to bring all this experience and, and best practices to OAA. And, you know, I just ask that you give, give me a few months to, to get things in order. Thank you for taking this on. And, and we definitely wish you the best of luck. Uh, I want to thank Mr. Corgus for um, the overview of, of just how the where the potential points are if they, if there are ongoing problems um, and, and I know your the the supervisors offices are involved I think one thing I do want to suggest and this does not necessarily have to be this committee um, but some kind of status report um, you know maybe four six months and whatever amount of time you need to get some of these things moving um, I think that can be with the supervisors um, directly I don't want to put more more work on their plate but I and I know there are ongoing communications with the supervisors offices anyway but I think that's particularly important happy as to the, do that yeah as these CBDs come before the committee there's obviously a great deal of of deference to the district uh, happy to do that yeah thank you support thank you very much uh, vice chair Chan Thank you, uh, Chair Preston. I, I think, Mr. Martin, you mentioned a little bit, like, give your few months. And um, just, uh, I'm just out of curiosity it, in just looking at the findings and the recommendations from OEWD. Um, it, it's, it seems to be it's really board leadership development, and it's, it's sort of organizing uh, your financial structures and documentation. Um, what is from your professional experience that how long is it going to take you? I mean, before you, we know it, you're probably going to come back in a year. And I have to be honest, like I and because of this change of leadership and, and I'm in support of and, and I know it is really just us accepting your annual report. But I am just not in a position 
in the events that this doesn't. This is the second time, at least, in uh, for when I'm in this role to to approve, vote in the support and approve this annual report. I'm just I, I think that there got to be some stands that this board also take uh, at some point to send a message to the board, like get your act together. Otherwise, we will not be, or at least I will not be in support of the annual report and accepting it with recommendation. So. What is your strategy? How long do you think it's going to take before this year uh, ends? Great question, and, and it's understood. Um, so I, I think by uh, well, currently we've engaged the consultant that's advising the the board on proper kind of roles and responsibilities. That process shouldn't take longer than um, a month or two. And then um, I have already started our plan for how we are going to put um, an ambassador program that is, you know, more in line with what my colleagues are doing here and what we do in Soma West, um, that has a presence, a, a steady, consistent cleaning and maintenance and safety, you know, presence out on the corridor. Um, that should take another uh, month or so tops. Um, and then planning the kind of schedule of events and marketing um, that you know highlights the district um, that shouldn't take um, that long either. So quarter one of next year, um, we should have things uh, pointed in the right direction. And in that case, I, I truly strong, you know, encourage uh, you yourself and your board um, have perhaps a, you know, and to truly make that commitment of having that three months from on now uh, communications with both OEWD and also your district supervisors. Uh, both Supervisor Malgar and Safai, and just really inform them and keep them involved, and and so that they too can provide you the support you you need uh, to move things forward. Thank you so much for all the hard work. I have to say, I feel like this has been going on more than last two years. It's not even just the pandemic, but but long before then for the Ocean Avenue. Um, CBD. It's unfortunate because it's a really a neighborhood that deserve love and care and most importantly equitable services um, and to care for that neighborhood. So thank you so much for taking on this job and uh, we look forward to seeing you being successful at it. Thank you so much, Supervisor. Thank you, Vice Chair Chan. We are rooting for you, Mr. Martin. Best of luck and thank you for taking this on. Uh, we will move next to the uh, Discover Polk CBD. Uh, ben Bleeman, the, the Executive Director, welcome you up to five minutes. Thank you very much, Supervisors. I'm very happy to be here. Um, we don't have too much to cover in this as uh, we're kind of a smaller CBD with uh, maybe uh, less intractable issues than some of the others do. Uh, but I will say that I've worked many jobs in the city. I've had many small businesses. I'm the chairman of the aquarium. I work on the entertainment commission. This is literally one of the most fulfilling roles I've ever had in my life. Um, we are merchants on that street. We've been merchants for, for 15 years. And Discover Polk Works, as it, it contracts out with me and my business partner, Duncan, and they hired us to kind of share the duties of the ex executive director. So I'm covering that today on behalf of both of us. Um, 2020-21 fiscal year for us was the first full year that we were a part of uh, this organization. We started just in February of 2020 as the executive directors. Um, previous to us, there had been a time of great transition in the CBD. It was brand new. And so 2020-21 really for us was a year 
of uh, kind of getting our feet underneath us, um, but also coming into our own in many ways. Um, we're a smaller CBD, um, just about five blocks um, on, on, and really only Van Ness and, and Polk Street and only in most parts just half of the side of Van Ness. Um, we have a smaller budget and I don't think we're completely unique, but we are unique in that we don't have a lot of larger business interests in our district. So it's very hyper local, it's very merchant focused. And a lot of the issues that we respond to are from condo owners who pay a very, you know, in my opinion, a small assessment and, and, and are rightfully, in, uh, also in my uh, assessment, are uh, very rightfully leaning on us to help solve problems that they have. So I'm talking to many, many, many different people on the course of every single day, not just a couple main folks. Um, the year of 2021 was completely dominated by COVID for us. Um, our businesses were really suffering. Our uh, neighborhood was very quiet. Um, and uh, the first thing that we did that was really helpful, I think, was we were able with our connections and with our by staying on top of things to really help our merchants and our residents understand what was coming down the pike. I don't know if I, I can barely remember that time, but I do remember there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uh, businesses and people just really didn't know what the next rules were going to be. And I think we were able to actually project that by constantly communicating with City Hall, constantly reaching out to neighbors and kind of understanding the, our best guess of what was coming down. And we got a lot of uh, positive feedback on the communications that we did. Um, the that was the first also full year that we had switched to using Street Plus as our cleaning operations. Um, and they uh, really, really proved their worth in that year. Um, they were tr tr uh, perpetually understaffed because of COVID. It was really hard to get people to come into the city. Um, we ended up with a manager who was a previously incarcerated individual who um, had a huge personality, um, really, really enthusiastic, and very, very uh, little experience in managing teams and little experience in uh, interfacing with community. Um, he had a little bit of a rocky start, but we worked with him very closely and we kind of, my business partner and I really went out, stuck our necks out to make sure we maintained him. We recruited Andre Torre from who works in uh, the planning department to be a part of our board. He also lives in the neighborhood and manages building. And he also took the manager under his wing as a mentor uh, to a mentee. And uh, I'm happy to say that he has turned out to be one of the best managers I've worked with and become a neighborhood fixture where everybody knows him and loves him. And he brought on a team to work underneath him of, of friends of his actually from his recovery program, which he's very public about. And they've just been doing an absolutely fantastic job. And in 2021, they were understaffed, yet they still met all the benchmarks, especially in steam cleaning and, and sidewalk cleaning. Um, which was uh, quite a feat, and it led to uh, an increase in uh, money for all of them. <laughs> Whenever they asked for a raise, we gave it to them. So that's something I'm particularly proud of, and it's great working with, uh, with Street Plus. Um, so you can see the, the cleanliness report we have here where they're meeting their goals. I won't go delve into the details here, but you're welcome to ask any questions about it. Um, our budget was well within the, 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 the boundaries of where we needed to be. There were no big surprises there, um, and though we would have preferred that Street Plus was fully um, uh, staffed, uh, the, their lack of staff led to less billing for us, so it actually kept our budget under 
um, and the fact that they stepped up was great. Um, we also did uh, some great street beautification projects and events. We did uh, Discover Pulp Delivers, uh, where we delivered food similar to East Cuts on behalf of local businesses. And we uh, put in permanent uh, tree lighting uh, across the entire district, and we, uh, which was funded generously by a grant, uh, partially by a grant from OEWD. Um, and but which actually the grant didn't come until the following year, so the, um, the the reimbursement doesn't count toward toward this year. But uh, almost every tree of a certain size in the entire district is currently lit up uh, with tree lights, which led to uh, really really positive feedback and actually a decrease in uh, issues on the street that we saw. Um, so with that, I don't really have anything else uh, spectacular to present on. So I'd love to answer any questions that you have. Thank you very much for your presentation and for your work. And um, my only question is just on the non-assessment revenue requirement that, that uh, benchmark too. And it seems like you're close, and I think on a trajectory to to be able to 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 get there to increase that percentage. But I just don't want to. Yeah, I mean, I can blame you. COVID because it yeah. really was an issue for us. Um, but that aside, there's uh, a lot we learned on that first uh, the first uh, year in. Um, I think, you know, because we don't have major business groups or other groups that have deep pockets in our district that we can go to for, for like regular grants and funding, we have to kind of rely on individuals to donate. And sometimes it's difficult if they're already paying the assessment to then be like, hey, give us more money. So we have to really prove our value. But we're working really hard on that this year. Um, we also have, you know, one of our larger tenants, not huge, but larger is some of the Academy of Art university has some buildings in our district and i am in active conversations with them about setting up a yearly grant program that kind of mixes art public art takes advantage of the takes advantage uh <laughs> not the right word uh allowing the students to display their public art <laughs> in our district and while also providing a, a kind of an ongoing funding source and so far they have been more than open to having those conversations so i, th I think we'll be able to solve that pretty easily thank you Next up, we will hear from um, Executive Director of the Lower Polk CBD. Welcome, Chris Shulman. Uh, Chair Preston, Supervisors, thank you for the opportunity uh, to speak. Um, with, uh, with Chris Shulman with the Lower Polk Community Benefit District, uh, we encompass 22 blocks, uh, and um, you know it's a diverse and challenging district, uh, both with uh, immense opportunity as well as challenges uh, due to proximity to Tenderloin and the high traffic uh, Van Ness corridor. Um, you know, yet even during uh, the challenges and change, uh, members of our local and diverse community and board of directors continue to demonstrate outstanding leadership and, uh, and commitment to our vibrant district. Uh, I'll be very brief. I do want to thank OEWD, Chris Corgis and Mimi for their, uh, both their oversight, which they exercise, but also their support uh, that they give to our uh, to our CBDs and, and our CBD itself. Um, we lessen the effects of our COVID-19 crisis in our district and constituents uh, by increasing our cleaning and sanitizing public fixtures. We also uh, distributed PPE, uh, which we um, which we got uh, both through the city as well as through uh, private sources. Um, we trained our personnel uh, to use PPE and worked with them and increased our, our usage of, of these uh, materials. Uh, we helped our merchants hurt by the pandemic by increasing our business support and services. Uh, we pivoted uh, from, from public programs and public art and, and activations 
and had one of our staff members pivot towards assisting businesses with activating their storefronts, uh, their, their, their uh, parklets and other uh, public spaces, and really assisting businesses, which is uh, a response that was necessary. Uh, we helped, um, we continued our tenant landlord clinic um, and we, um, we increased our merchant services in that regard as well while continuing to fully uh, assist um, renters uh, on the, um, the non-merchant end. Um, I, want to, um, I want to kind of, on the, I don't have it on the slide, but I want to acknowledge the recommendations of OEWD. Uh, we have a consultant that's working both on the board as well as on an executive level uh, to respond to those recommendations. Uh, and so I wanted to acknowledge those, uh, and I believe we're being in a better position for the, uh, it, it may not be fully reflected in the next report because it's, already, it's kind of already that, that year's completed, uh, but we're making uh, excellent progress, uh, and we're working closely with, uh, with OEWD on that. Uh, we've elected new board members, new officers, community chairs, and renewed terms of our board members. Uh, we've kept up with new developments of the district and stayed involved uh, in many community endeavors. Um, we've uh, completed um, our organizational internal audit uh, with uh, unmodified opinion, which shows approval. Uh, we've got PPP loan, uh, reviewed, uh, re reviewed organizational investments, uh, insurance, budget projections. Uh, we continue to do all of our normal clean, safe things, uh, monitor public uh, receptacles and other public items. Uh, we've added more members to our clean team, training sessions, and other diligence. Uh, we, can, we carry out our performance measures, which we met, uh, and goals for neighborhood cleanliness. And we continue to analyze trends in the neighborhood. Uh, this year's report's gonna be different than next year's report, which is gonna be different than the following year's report, which um, I think uh, is, is necessary when you're, when you're in our industry. Uh, we work with the police department to address issues around safety, but we also um, work with the community to address issues around safety. So I want to acknowledge that. Uh, department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. Uh, ambassador staff to report areas that need to be cleaned. Uh, we, we participate in multiple safety and security groups to take actions and issues and trends around uh, focus on our lower Polk alleys. Uh, and I want to really highlight that it's neighborhood safety uh, and it's neighborhood based. Uh, and we work with um, city on potential policies concerning empty storefronts and strategies. And we work with brokers and we work with uh, stakeholders to uh, fill vacancies. Um, we, we collaborate with the Department of Public Health to address unhoused and the neighborhood uh, street population. Uh, we attend numerous neighborhood association meetings and coordinate constituent meetings to discuss outreach services specific concerns and outreach plans. And we operate our award-winning tenant landlord clinic, which I went into a lot of detail last year, and I don't want to repeat, but it's something that's very important to us. Uh, and while it's not a core, um, it's not assessment funded, but it's grant funded, and we continue to operate this important program. Uh, and I'll, I'll gloss over this, because I want to be respectful of your time, um, but it's, uh, we continue to still work with uh, thousands of people. Uh, and then our budget's articulated in the report. Um, but again, we met our benchmarks, and I'm happy to answer any questions or get any more details that you may have. Thank you, Mr. Shulman, and um, I want to thank you, uh, as I did last year, just around the tenant-landlord clinic, 
um, work. And I know, you know, I just want to recognize that that um, is unusual work for a CBD. And in many ways, uh, CBDs generally are not structured. You know, the structure of them doesn't lend themselves to elevating the, the concerns of the housing stability issues that renters and neighborhoods are facing. It's been really remarkable to see um, that work, uh, the commitment of the CBD and, and your leadership in continuing that work. So I want to commend you for that. Um, on the uh, on the governance, the, the board engagement and compliance, Brown Act compliance, agenda setting, all that kind of stuff, I understand there's um, you've, you've addressed the plans there. Can you just give us, what, what is the status? Is there a consultant currently retained who's assisting we, with that? We have a consultant um, currently retained. Uh, they've been working with the organization. Uh, up until a couple months ago, they were primarily working on an executive level. Mm -hmm. um, but we've, we've uh, over the last couple months, have engaged the board more and more. Um, we've, we've spent the last couple months building up the board from, from kind of having a quorum to actually having uh, more than quorum and being almost a full board. And now that we have almost a full board set, now, that we're, now we're doing board training and, and, and governance training and, and kind of getting the board really in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a good situation uh, moving forward, uh, getting them uh, fully trained on, on, on fiduciary responsibilities and, 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 and all the proper governance and what their responsibilities and how to operate. We didn't have, I, I would, it's tough to engage. Um, we, we had, we've had challenges over the years just getting a fully engaged board. And we've, they've kind of, um, it, you know, getting quorum and things like that, but we're, we're really addressing that. Uh, and then our, um, our consultant is working on an executive level and we're, we're, we're doing some other things uh, to address uh, staffing, like um, exploring contracting out staff, so that because right now our staff is internal for cleaning and and safety, which is which is a resource uh, issue for staff in my time, and we're we're working on uh, contracting that out so there's more staff time for for um, administrative and governance. Thank you very much, um, and uh, I do want to go ahead and uh, Madam Clerk, if you could add me as a a co-sponsor in this item is currently Supervisor Peskins, but we have we have a little part, the the, the southernmost edge of uh, this community benefit. Yes, and district. I want to thank you for your engagement. We've 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 done some we've done walks, and we've uh, uh, your 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 aides have been engaged with us, and I want to thank you for that. Looking forward to continuing to work together, and yeah, please add me as a co-sponsor. And that uh, is. It, in terms of my questions, looks like same from colleagues, so thank you. Thank you, supervisors. And uh, we have reached the end of the list and the time for public comment. So, uh, Madam Clerk, uh, let's open this for public comment. And I do want to remind uh, those giving public comment that we are hearing a number of agenda items and community benefits districts together. So to make your public comment as effective as possible, it would be great if you could tell us which of the districts you're talking about uh, when you give your public comment. Madam Clerk. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment on items number four through 10? Please line up to your right. Remote public comment members, please press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you've been unmuted. We have no in-person public comment. Oh, yes, we do have one. Oh, 
Linda Chapman from Knob Hill <coughs> concerning the lower poke CBD, as called. You know, one of your colleagues proposed having an IG office. And I can only say that, you know, Lower Polk Neighbors, Lower Polk Neighborhood Association, the years of horror in my neighborhood, like having the mafia take over and nowhere to go, you know? I mean, you sit here, what are you able to do about these kinds of things, you know? Citizens, residents have nowhere to go when people like Chris Shulman and the former iteration of Lower Polk Neighbors turned our neighborhood into a nightlife and vice district. And only because David Villalobos helped me and a resident manager get the attention of Chief Sir were we able to begin to turn it around. You know? I mean, that was that iteration. Now we have this iteration of Lower Polk Neighbors. And when somebody says to them, when I say to them, well, what you're doing here is illegal. You know, you cannot get money from developers and project sponsors and stuff like that who are your members and you're a nonprofit. Oh, it's all right. The money goes to the CBD, right? Now, we're not talking about small amounts of money now either. I mean, it was the same thing, by the way, under the previous architects and, and you know, corridor manager. And these people run it our corridor, our, pardon me, architects too. It is pathetic to see my neighbors in there begging and saying, well, okay, so they're going to give you, you know, $40,000 on top of the regular fee for their support letter. Can I give you money for a support letter? No. Well, what are you going to do with the money for the support from the support from the developers? Oh, medallions, historic medallions. $540,000 for a place on Van Ness plus 40,000 extra, you know, and we're just... I apologize for the interruption, Ms. Chapman. Time has lapsed. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public in chamber that would like to make comment on items 4 through 10? Seeing no other speakers, there are currently zero callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on these items is now closed. I want to thank everyone who took the time to, uh, to present today and for all the work uh, that's subject to these, these reports. I'd like to um, move to send these resolutions, that's items 4 through 10, to the full board with positive recommendation. Madam Clerk, please call the roll. Thank you. On that motion, Vice Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Member Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes, and um, we will, let's go ahead and call uh, the closed session items, please. Today's litigation agenda is comprised of items 11 through 17, which include various ordinances and resolutions regarding settlements for lawsuits and unlitigated claims. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, please enter meeting ID 2498-111-6218, then press pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. The system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted, and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment for item numbers 11 through 17? 
Please line up to your right. Remote public call-in members, please press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. Okay, we have no in-chamber public comment. We'll go to the phone line. There are currently zero callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on these items is now closed. Uh, motion to convene in closed session. Madam Clerk, please call the roll. To convene in closed session, Vice Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Member Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes and we will now convene in closed session. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
pretty sure we are back. IT, can you please confirm that you can hear the chamber? SFGov TV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay, let's get her ready. We're ready. We're now back in open session. Thank you uh, for your patience while we were away. Madam Clerk, please report on the closed session deliberations. Today in closed session, the committee voted unanimously to re recommend items 11 to 15 and item 17 to the full board with a positive recommendation and continue item 16 to the Government Audit and Oversight Committee meeting of December 1st, 2022. Thank you, Madam Clerk. I'd like to move to, dis, uh, to not disclose the closed session discussions. Please call the roll. On that motion, Vice Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Member Stephanie. Aye. Stephanie, aye. Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you. That motion passes. Um, and is there any further business, Madam Clerk? There's no further business. Thank you. And a special thanks to Supervisor Stephanie for sitting in on our long GAO hearing today. We appreciate it. And uh, we are adjourned.